Hello, I'm Rebecca Castellino, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. Rachel Rosansky is an emerging Canadian visual artist. She is an MFA candidate studying at Ryerson University in the final stages of her degree. Her practice has evolved to include contact images and video documenting melting permafrost in the north of Canada. Rachel and her partner, cinematographer Param Banafshe, drove across the Yukon documenting the changing landscape of Canada's north. Our conversation was recorded in Toronto on the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee, Huron-Wendat, Anishinaabe, and Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. Do you want to tell everybody where you are right now? I'm in Vancouver. I just got back from a two and a half month residency in the Yukon, finishing up a bit of my uh, latest project. Was that directly tied to the university? Because you just graduated from Ryerson, right? Yeah. Well, I actually missed almost my whole last semester to go there and then COVID. Yeah, part of an MFA project, so I got away with it. What was making art in Dawson under quarantine like? Gosh, a lot of guilt, mostly guilt oh, no. for not making enough art. But I don't know, it was, it was really weird because most of the stuff I'd planned to do, I couldn't do because of weather and COVID, but also thinking in totally different directions. And maybe they won't show up in this project, but now that I don't have to even show in June, I have until December when I'll hopefully show. So maybe it can expand a little more. Where were you supposed to show in June? At A Space. So is it going to be at A Space again and then they've just pushed it back? Yeah, so it's pushed to December, but so if things are open, then it will be happening. What do you think it's going to look like? Okay, uh, well, right now I'm thinking I'll have six large-scale drawings, and then I'll have, the main thing is probably the video component. It'll be a two-channel piece mm-hmm. set up in the corner of a room, and scans as well. I have, I have contact images made from a portable scanner. I was looking at your contact images, and we were both in the same studio when you were doing those scans, or are those the ones up on your website? There's some new ones. Uh, there's there's a few new ones of uh, permafrost, and I've I've been doing stuff with the scanner for a little bit longer, but mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the stuff for this project that scans of permafrost. Do you think you could explain how you scan permafrost? It was a scanner that I made portable by attaching a Pi, like a little Raspberry Pi that's like a portable computer, and then I attached that to a power source, so it can be a laptop or a battery. Um, it's really stupid and it takes forever. It's, um, I may as well be taking like really old school film photos, but yeah, that's what, that's the best thing I've come up with. So how did you come upon making those images with a scanner? I started playing around with a scanner with roadkill actually, <laughs> because it was so fat and I wanted a way to make an image of it that was really, really shallow depth of field. Yeah. So really that was it, the shallow depth of field. But then it ended up 
becoming something else because it played off ice really well, the way the light moves across it and the way it melts and, and things while it's scanning. Is that why you started drawing it? Because of how well the ice translated in, in the photos? No, I guess I always planned to do the drawings, but honestly, the, the thing that's the hardest to do is yeah. this project. My background is totally in drawing, but for this project, I'm having trouble with the drawings the most, making them translate the material. Mm -hmm. How was the transition from Dawson City back home? Really weird. I was planning to stay there for quite a while. I wasn't sure if I should stay there or leave. I'm immunocompromised, so mm -hmm. I was trying to decide the smartest place for me to be. I ended up deciding Vancouver, but it's definitely different coming to a city. You have to be way more careful. Yeah. Washing groceries. Not really making art because there I could just, you know, walk outside and have material to work from all the time. Would you consider yourself an eco-artist? No, I don't really like to say that because I do have some issues with <laughs> Western environmentalism. Yes, true. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess I'm interested in environmental concerns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You interviewed an Indigenous woman for part of the video about the permafrost up north. Do you think that's this strategy because you're so resistant to this Western understanding of the earth? I interviewed all sorts of people for that. I interviewed scientists and I interviewed multiple people that live on the land that's falling away. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to kind of talk to everyone who's involved in that issue and working on that issue. And um, I, I think I've decided actually not to use the interview in the video, but it's been a really, it's been a wrestle. <laughs> but I think in the end, the video should be able to speak for itself. Mm -hmm. So you're not making art right now? Are you just making a lot of food? Pretty much. I've been fermenting everything under the sun. <laughs> um, My goal is to get a month without having to go grocery shopping. Stop. But um, I I'm going to start drawing soon enough, but it's just weird because I need a space to draw. I need N95 masks to draw with. Because of the charcoal? And, uh, yeah. I guess I could use N99, but it needs to be so small for the particles. Yeah. They yeah. really affect my lungs. But I'll be editing for sure, and I have to still defend in August, so I'll have to finish the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you excited to defend? What's that going to look like for you? It'll be a virtual defense. Nice. I don't know. I'm, I'm not excited at all. Honestly. After two years of working on this project, I feel like I'm just beating it over the head. <laughs> I'd like to finish it and move on to something else, but I don't know. I think it'll be really easy to defend. All I really care about is the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for the show, do you have a thesis or the concept you're running with, or are you just going to show the body of work? Well, I guess I'll give you a little bit of a spiel about the project. I'll tell you first a little bit of my background, how I got there. I've been working in northern environments for a while. I started off looking at these conglomerates. I was working with scientists in Iceland and then later in Nunavut, looking at objects that were some combination of manufactured and organic materials and how they disintegrate and affect the ecosystem. So that's what I was into before. But looking at land change in general in northern Canada, so much of that has to do with permafrost and mm -hmm. permafrost degradation. I definitely didn't understand that until I saw it. 
that permafrost covers over half of Canada. And it's a mixture of all sorts of things, but it's basically frozen land. So it can make up so much of the land too. So it thawing means that huge chunks of the north could become swampland and bogs. And there's all sorts of things in there that can come out, like gases that contribute to climate change, but also fossilized specimens and bacteria. Pretty much the video project I shot in the Yukon and the Northwest Territories following land change and I guess on the ways that permafrost water are being altered in the Anthropocene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that can be from the direct effect of small-scale mining or from the effects of large-scale climate change. And that's some of the world's oldest permafrost too, so I was looking at millions of years' worth of history. Do you get a sense of history as you're looking at these core samples that you're scanning? Yeah, I was scanning some core samples and then some chunks of permafrost that were just exposed that I found along my trip and in the Yukon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the core samples, you can definitely see the history and the different makeup of the land and the strata. Mm-hmm. And um, in even in the slumps that I would go to, permafrost slumps where huge chunks of land just melt and cave away, you can see the strata in it and kind of the layers of history. How did the people in Dawson, what did they think about your artwork? The first time I went there last summer, I had an open house. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun because I was doing a lot of work in mines around there. So I was nervous about how people would react. Yeah. But a lot of miners showed up to my open house and they really liked it. Oh, that's awesome. Which was, yeah, it was really cool because it's not, the point of this project was not to shit on mining or resource extraction that just wasn't really the point Mm -hmm. at least not after mining your work is so different from a lot of the stuff that i'm seeing in in toronto and i I know that you come from a bc background but do you find that your practice is a bit unusual in the greater of course air quotes always canadian art landscape the only thing i would say is other canadian artists working with concepts around the anthropocene i haven't seen anyone working with permafrost actually but do you think it's a hard thing to translate to a visual medium maybe yeah it's really hard to visualize but also to make people care about (laughs) because it just it doesn't have the same impact as like looking at an iceberg so that was maybe the biggest challenge and my partner who helped me shoot it he came and he was like What the hell am I filming? Some dirt? (laughs) But I think we made it look pretty. I think it's coming across. But also it's so time-based. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to be able to compare and difference. Do you think that's why you're so drawn to video? Because it is such a time-based experience? Yeah, the only reason I got into video at all was this project. (laughs) I've been avoiding video so hard my whole life. Um, It's not not a way I like to work, but I knew I needed it for this project subject. Why do you feel like you needed it? Because it doesn't come across in drawings or photos. I'm happy with my scans, but they don't show you how active it is. Mm. What was the most like frustrating thing about video? Like, why don't you like working with it as a person like with a drawing background? (laughs) I guess I've been a lot more process based (laughs) usually. So I, I stay in a place and, and I go out Every day, come back, do a little something, go back out, learn some more. And that's how I like to work. So video, I had to plan ahead. 
and I just, I just didn't, it didn't really work. My plan was to follow eroding land, thawing and tailing into rivers, lakes, and eventually the sea. True. Do you think artists and filmmakers have different working patterns? Like, was that the issue? Like, you're, you were an artist brain and part of a filmmaker brain? Yeah, I totally think so. But also, it's not... Like, if I'd been staying in one place for a month making video, it could have worked for sure. But mm. because we had to travel within a certain time span, we had to drive from Dawson up to Tuktoyaktuk and then back to BC. And um, it was just really intense and yeah. fast. And I had to know pretty fast what I want shot. There's so many things I wish I'd gotten. Like, it just kills me every day <laughs> but yeah so you say you're, you want to move on from this project but would you ever go back and, and shoot the things that you wanted to shoot like let's say you were given the budget that you needed and it wasn't a mess this time <laughs> or hectic sorry not a mess <laughs> no it was definitely a mess in some ways actually shooting it felt like a mess oh. I got back and looked at the footage and I was like okay there's, there's stuff here but doing it oh my god you know, I could spend like 20 years on this project. It's so huge, but I have to just stop at mm -hmm. some point. Mm -hmm. I keep wanting to go back. I went this summer. I went back this winter. <laughs> sure, I'd love to go back again, but I just, yeah. Hello, folks. Are you tired of hearing cis white ladies talk about art? I know I am. Some other really amazing queers are making podcasts, and I'd like to take a break to do a shout out. Queer, Black, and Awkward is a great podcast, and I'd like to spotlight Season 3, Episode 6, Reiki, Facilitating Healing for Queer Individuals. You can find this podcast wherever you're listening now, or follow them on Instagram at Queer, Black, Awkward. Are you an artist that returns to projects a lot? Do you run with ideas for years? I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've been kind of working with the same concepts for fuck my whole practice but <laughs> so sometimes I'm like oh my god is this am I just beating this dead dog I'm just stuck on it and I have different subject matter but it seems to be kind of along the same concept what would you say that concept is understanding the environment and rethinking ideas of nature in the Anthropocene yeah that makes sense do you want to define yeah. Anthropocene Totally. So the Anthropocene is our current geological era. People are saying that we've now moved on from the Holocene and we're entering the Anthropocene. Do you find that because you're working with the Anthropocene, it's easier for you to enter into institutional spaces? I think institutions either love it or hate it. Mm. So there are some, they, I've only gotten an upper hand with some things like with getting certain funding through the school mm -hmm. but outside of school it's been um really a lot of galleries want to avoid that and anything environmental really or they're really into environmental work and that's that's kind of it so the backing of ryerson you find that made a big difference on applying to grants or, or whatever you needed or it was coming from ryerson just being in school the funding opportunities available like shirk True. and um, funding within the school as well I mean, I was definitely favored by some teachers that were the ones deciding funding, so mm. I had some advantages there. Were you favored because of your subject matter? 
Yeah. <laughs> Hot topic. <laughs> Hot topic. That's so weird, though. So within the academic institution, it's like a hot topic, but within the more visual display culture? That's my sense, but I don't really know. I mean, in the school, it was pretty clear. You know, I knew who was on the board deciding who just gets the funding and Mm -hmm. stuff. But outside that, I don't really know. It's just my feeling that some people really want to avoid it. Yeah. I find because when you're a student somewhere, the chances of someone being on the board knowing who you are and knowing you're like a keener or or that you do good work makes such a difference. Do you think that maybe because the people looking at your applications, because they don't know you and because you're not a familiar name, like you get less of a chance or or you really do think it's a subject matter? I don't know. I I think there's just so many galleries that environmental work doesn't fit into their mandate and they want nothing to do with it. But yes, of course, that'll be part of it. As an artist, how do you identify within the scene if you're thinking about yourself within the larger picture? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. I just call myself a Canadian artist. <laughs> yeah? Do you say emerging if you're talking to other Canadians, too, or no? Yeah, I'd say emerging. Do you have, like, That's about right. Do you have the hopes of becoming a, a mid-career? Do you see yourself leveling up? Oh, totally, yes. I mean, being an artist is the only thing I want to do, so I think I'm just going to try and do that. My goal is to be a full-time artist, so <laughs> may never get there, but I'll probably die trying. It's the eternal struggle. Um, <laughs> do you see a pathway to you becoming a mid-career, or what barriers are you running up against? Okay, well, first of all, there is not opportunity in BC. There just isn't opportunity to move up through things like government funding. If you if you don't want to be a um, commercial artist, I think it's just so bloody hard to become an artist in Vancouver. Yeah. So that's part of why I moved to Toronto, because Ontario is definitely better. But something I've been noticing a lot is the more remote places, like in the Yukon, there's just so much more opportunity for funding and for, I don't know, having your work supported and there's way less of the political crap Mm. and institutional crap that follows you. And um, it's just a totally different scene that I would really rather be a part of. Are there institutions up in Dawson? What was the residency you were doing up there? It was part of the Klondike Institute for Art and Culture. They're an amazing institution. They support all sorts of community programs and the residencies mm-hmm. and um, grants as well, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, two galleries in Dawson, and one is with Kayak, and then the other is with the Stova. It's an art school there. Mm-hmm. My theory was that maybe the less institutions stirring up the mud, the easier it'd be to get work shown, but like maybe that's not the case, and it's just urban institutions that really have this problem, you know? Yeah, I think it's also just so much about the politics. I think it's a different attitude. Mm. Um, I mean, okay, I can't really say, but just, I mean, I know several full-time artists in Dawson, for one. Yeah. And that's, like, a crazy thing. And there are artists that I think a lot of them move there for that reason and for the opportunity. And it's more of a spirit of, okay, let's help this project happen. Let's help this happen. I guess that's also to do with the fact that everybody kind of knows everybody or you know of everybody Mm -hmm. and um, there's a good chance you'll know who's deciding if your work gets into a show or if you get funding or whatever but it's just a different attitude. Yeah, smaller community. Guelph was definitely like that too but um, 
I don't know. It's still a, a city, so there were still some politics. When you when you say politics, um, do you mean like like nepotism in the art world, like like the same ten people kind of show up, or like your work is too environmentally based? Like, what do you mean by politics? Um, yeah, I think all those things, and just like also when you were talking about um, becoming a mid level career or full time artist, um, it's I think decided less based on that if you get things. Oh, yeah. So do you think just all the emerging artists are just like fighting <laughs> to get like the same spot, basically? <laughs> you mean in Toronto? Ah, oh, across Canada. Feels small enough. <laughs> or you think that that's an yeah, attitude I, I just don't... in Toronto? Yeah, I, I really don't know. I don't have a sense yet very well of the Toronto art scene. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you were a part of it while you were here? No, I don't really. I feel like I was so new to it, I didn't even really break in yet. Yeah. Also, you were doing your master's, so I feel like that's the worst time to try and integrate yourself into a scene when you're, like, overloaded with work. Mm, yeah, that too. <laughs> Have a social life, but also write all this stuff and make all this stuff. <laughs> do you think you'd come back to Toronto or you see yourself being in Vancouver? Like, where do you see yourself being um, a mid-career artist? What scene? Uh, well... Dawson. <laughs> I do see myself in Toronto. Yeah, Dawson. <laughs> um, I, I, I do see myself coming back to Toronto... And I'd like to continue there, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Everything's on hold with COVID. It might be a year before I can do that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I. Uh, I didn't know if, if you wanted to, if you want to talk about COVID, we can. But I think that it's stirred up so much stuff in the art world that we were kind of already all anxious about, and now it just made it kind of worse. Yeah, <laughs> same old, same old. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think, like, what's what's the thing that you're going to do next after you're, after you're done this? What idea do you want to jump on? After what? After you're done uh, defending. Oh, geez. Well, I really want to continue working on my project on the, the Portlands. Yes. Do you want to tell the stories about your Portlands project? Yeah. Okay, so um, it started when I first moved to Toronto, and I moved into a warehouse with Rebecca, um, <laughs> and um, I was like, where the hell am I living in this weird warehouse on this weird land? Um, and I started looking around, so it was on the Portlands, and um, I started looking around and finding all these weird this first thing I noticed was there were so many dead things there. Just mm -hmm. animals dead all over the place on Portlands. And um, then I started looking into why, and I found out all this crazy stuff about the Portlands. Like, its history is as different kinds of dumps. It's just super, super chemical, and that's the reason nobody's actually allowed to live there is because it's dangerous. It's really high in, in heavy metals and toxic chemicals. And uh, it's on the lakeshore, so all along the beaches is um, these rocks that are 
look like just rocks, but then up close it's mostly pieces of worn down brick and metal and um, garbage and all, all sorts of stuff and glass. So, yeah, and, and then I found out that they're planning to revitalize the Portlands around the same time that we got kicked out of our warehouse Google as side- it's getting upgraded. Yeah, Sidewalks Labs actually got canceled, so our landlord, he should have kept us. What? Oh, that kills me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Just, just news. Oh, I miss the warehouse life. Well... <laughs> Maybe we can get it back now. Yes. <laughs> Reclaim the warehouse. <laughs> Make it better. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, they're revitalizing the Portlands, which basically means they're going to cover up all that, that toxic sludge with a certain amount of clean dirt. They're, they're using all these funny words to talk about it. Revitalizing, mm-hmm. greening the Portlands. They're going to make it into this beautiful fantasy land of marshes and stuff yeah and it's the shoreline um, project like that's what the toronto biennale was kind of like named after well it, it felt reminiscent of because they're gentrifying like all along uh, the shoreline yeah. there all lakeshore really yeah yeah totally so it's going to become a place with super expensive condos and all that but um i'm just i i just thought it was really interesting because of how they talk about creating nature because it Mm. used to be a wetland a marshland and now they're sort of creating this actually that to me is like the definition of of nature the the western term of uh, it in in the idea of an a perfect environment Mm. so yeah so i was looking at that and then i don't know i did a, a short video project about it and a book and then i'd like to do some more I think the video was so striking to me, and I don't know if it's because you described the scene to me, of, of all those, was it swans that were frozen or, or seagulls? Ducks. Ducks. They were all the dead, like, frozen ducks. Yeah, yeah. That was one beach I worked on a lot, and every time I went back, there'd be something super weird going on. So once it was, like, just these these ducks that looked like they had just sat down to go to sleep and died and it was like 20 of them wow and just in a really small area really small area and how what was the weather because it wasn't cold then was it it was kind of cold but ducks wouldn't die like that that wouldn't just happen unless something else was going on i mean totally is there's all sorts of crazy deaths on the poor lands Mm -hmm. unexplained yeah i think it's it's also a spot that I know you're not from Toronto, but, like, you see how obsessed everyone is with the Leslie Spit, which is, like, part of the Portlands, right? Like, a lot of Mm -hmm. people go there to to make art. It's kind of like this pilgrimage that I take a lot of non-artists on as well. Um, Just, like, bring them to see it. Do you feel like you were documenting the the beauty of it or or kind of, like, how, how messed up it was? How do you feel like you were representing it? Because it is such beautiful images, but they're all of dead things and garbage and decay, you know? Yeah, I guess I started off thinking of it as a, like a sort of scientific catalog style mm. thing of specimens that were dead and I didn't know why. So that's what it started as. And then, um, and then it just became like a documentation, look at this place. And then over years, I guess I'd like to follow it and, and show the transformation as it becomes... <laughs> 
quote unquote nature. Yeah. Yeah. The irony, well, not the irony. I never use that word right. Um, but also we have, we have Sugar Beach, which um, as a little girl, I thought was an actual beach. Um, but it's just like that little like patch of sand that someone's dumped there beside the sugar factory and like put some lawn chairs on. So like as much as we say like Sugar Beach, like is she a beach? Is that nature? I guess I was so into that because coming from BC, I've never seen a place that's just been so turned over so many times and oh, gone yeah. through so many changes in like what it is and what we call it. And there's just so much history there and, and history before people, I mean, before settlers were there too, is, is really interesting. It was like a significant marshland. So I don't know, just, just all the layers of history in that. It's like strata on the beach that you can see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's what you're interested in? Like capturing that, that kind of history of, of land and, and how people are changing that? I guess, yeah. But I guess uh, more interested in how convoluted it all is. Mm. And is that the right word? That's not the right word. How um, integrated it is. That's gotcha. the word. Uh, yeah, how integrated it is in the Anthropocene and how we look at it. Like the fact that um, there's trees and wildlife and everything still on the Portlands using it in different ways. It's Everything's adapted to use it in different ways. And, and sure, the wildlife has changed, the, the plant life has changed, but it's um, that doesn't mean it's less of the environment, I guess. And, and that's, that's what's interesting to me. The idea that it's not nature now and it's going to become nature when they cover it up with some other stuff and, um, mm. probably a lot of invasive plants and all that. Oh my gosh, I yeah. don't know. It's just that the, those definitions and concepts are interesting. And, and I think how we think about nature when we're in the Anthropocene really, um, affects the environment. Yeah. Well, is there anything you want to say um, with regards to, like, hopping the fence into the art world? Any, like, advice you maybe want to give or, or things that you wish you had known um, as an artist entering into it that you that you know now? I think the thing that's benefited me the most is having a niche all the way along. Mm-hmm. And it didn't... I didn't plan that at all. It just kind of happened, and now... I run in these little mini circles and it's not like I'm, I'm running anywhere, but it's um, like a place I fit into the art scene. It's, it's like my, my little niche. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess that the advantages because even though it keeps me from getting some things, it gives me definitely advantages in other ways. So that's probably been the thing that's pushed me forward the most. Do you feel like you have a community of artists that are thinking about the same things as you and that would like show in shows with you and, and, and chat with you? I think I definitely have a community of artists working in the North. That's mm. probably, probably what I have the most of right now because, because of the C3 expedition and then working in Nunavut and Northwest Territories. It's, it's just so such a small group of people that I guess I've ended up in that. Is your thesis show going to be at A-Space again? Yes, it should be at A-Space, I hope, December. December, A-Space, maybe. You can see Rachel Rosansky's work in person. (laughs) Um, If you're in Toronto. But also you have your website, right? 
I do. And I'm hoping that the video will show in more places and the show will travel in general, but yeah. Big, big things up ahead. Soon to be mid-career artist. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you have an artist you would like to hear interviewed, would like to correct slash fact check a past episode, or would like to chat, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at hoppingthefence or by email at rebeccaecasolino at gmail.com. Thanks to OCAD University for their financial support, my project supervisor Amish Morell for his advice and guidance, and Claudia Slogar-Rick for all of her extra help. Original artwork for Hopping the Fence by Alex Gregory. Original music by Jessica Price Eisner. Thanks so much. Bye.